Cheers. Jared Sylvester. Cheers. Uh, tonight we're drinking Long Road Distillers Straight American Whiskey out of uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, right? Yeah. Uh, 40% charred American oak for two years, so it's it's okay. <laughs> I think we've all had better. It's not bad. But uh, it's, a, it's decent. Yeah. Not as smooth as some of the others, but not bad. It's decent. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, great. We'll, uh, we'll edit this and we'll get rolling. Welcome back to another Core for Life podcast. This is Matt. We've got another awesome guest for you today, um, my good friend, uh, Jared Sylvester. Jared has an amazing story that he's going to share with us today. Uh, it's a, a story filled of joy, pain, fight, and faith uh, with his battle with cancer. Uh, we've all been touched by cancer in some way. I think we're all of our lives have been affected by it, someone you know close. And so uh, you obviously, Jared, were right, you know, lived it. And so we appreciate you being here. Um, it's going to be fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, welcome, man. Uh, well, we met Jared over 10 years ago at Miami University, um, the beautiful campus in Oxford, Ohio. Um, and when, when we initially met, I thought, man, my first thought at least was, I really like this guy. <laughs> and my second thought was, he kind of reminds me of myself. There you go. Just a, a two years younger, three years younger. Yeah. Um, if you don't mind, just give us a little bit of your background growing up, um, a little bit about kind of who you were before your cancer battle. Um, the guy that, you know, I met on, on, on Oxford's campus. Yeah. It's crazy. It's been that long. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, one of four kids, um, great family, you know, pretty traditional American family, uh. Yeah, you know, grew up as a, as a sports kid, athlete, was pretty active my whole life. Um, played football and lacrosse in high school. Thought about going and playing in, um, in collegiate level, but uh, ultimately ended up at Miami. My mom went there, was an alumni from there. My sister was actually there. She's Matt's year. And so that's how I met Matt um, when I joined um, Oxford campus. So, yeah, it was just, I mean, I grew up pretty traditional American home, right? I mean, my priorities were sports, sports, and uh, sports. So <laughs> it was, uh, you know, as a, as a kid growing up, I had lots of friends, we, you know, doing stuff every weekend, pretty normal. But um, I would say, you know, growing up in a Christian home, we've really, really involved in our church. My, my dad was an elder at the church that uh, we, they helped start in our community. Um, so really involved in that. I never really uh, adopted that faith like as my own until college. So I kind of was the what I what I refer to as kind of like the spark plug believer. Um, kind of you know getting recharged, uh, little retreats or youth group conferences or whatever, um, and then just letting it die out and kind of doing my own thing. <laughs> so I, I would say I, I mean I was really pretty selfish in high school. Um, kind of two-faced in terms of, you know, on, on Sundays or Wednesday night Bible studies, I could turn it on. I knew that I, I could speak the Christian lingo. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I just really ultimately my senior year took a lot of pride in my identity and kind of my athletics. And so, like, that was a really serious thing for us as our, a group of core guys that we were best friends. You know, we had some goals to, you know, win state for lacrosse and stuff like that. So it was just, I mean, it was just fun to – to get in that mindset, but it just was distracting of what was really ultimately important. Um, and so for me, yeah, entering Miami, that was my goal, was I've seen my sister, who was involved in Campus Crusade for Christ, um, and was really best friends with Laura, Matt's wife, and um, I'd seen them grow and mature in their faith, and I was like, I kind of want to investigate. I'm not saying I want it, but I want to see. I've never given it a shot. I'm, gonna, I'm on my own. I'm going to try to see if... Uh, if I can do this. And then, you know, that's when I met Matt. Matt was a cool dude. My sister was like, you got to hang out with Matt. You know, I was like, there's no Christian dudes that play sports that are normal. <laughs> and Matt 
was the guy that first, Still first guy I met. <laughs> <laughs> that was normal. <laughs> he was the closest normal guy <laughs> I could find. Closest Matt, to Matt, normal. The guy who had what hair down to shoulder blades and rugby player. Oh, dude, mine was longer than Matt's. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. we had some flow. Oh yeah. That's why I felt like we connected <laughs> on that level, <laughs> especially at Miami, because it's kind of like a high and tight. Oh, for at sure. At the time, at least. Yeah. Probably, maybe not now, but. You say you had some flow. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> the lax flow. The lax flow. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, Jared. You have an interesting story of how you found out. Um, why don't you go to kind of like the, ne- the next step? Like when was it? And, um, you know, kind of kick it off. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, um, to, I guess to preface that, I, I would say, you know, I, I did jump into my faith at Miami. Um, it, you know, it wasn't easy. It was up and down that first semester for sure. Um, but I just, you know, I did a lot of things in high school, you know, that just I, I didn't feel it would put me in morally compromising positions and I just didn't feel like I wanted to reproduce that at, in college I wanted a different experience and so I, I really didn't drink um at Miami really that much my freshman year um didn't mess around really I mean it was just like you know I, I did a little bit it was just like uh trying to avoid some of those situations so I jumped in church crusade and my faith was just starting to ignite uh, reading the Bible for the first time, really, on my own, praying, um, really kind of uh, meeting with guys that are older, wiser, have an influence on my life. So um, all that to say, you know, freshman, sophomore year, super growing years for me, um, kind of exponentially, you know, spiritual greenhouse in terms of just being in Bible studies. I went on a you know, short-term mission uh, summer project with Campus Crusade um, in between my freshman and sophomore year, and then again, sophomore to junior year. Um so yeah, I mean, I up to that point, my life had really radically changed. Kind of devoted towards the Lord. It's um, an it's an interesting time. Like you know, normally when you hear people say went off to college and I did X, Y, and Z, they aren't great things. Right. But it sounds like you actually started to make that turn in your life at that time. And you said it was just you didn't want to repeat some of the things that happened in high school. Were there other driving factors to that, or was it just you know did, you had that? wherewithal I, I i couldn't say in college i had that idea <laughs> i'm like man i need to fix what i did in high school but that that's cool that you had that recognition as you were making this huge step in your life yeah i mean i think you know obviously to me looking back it's definitely the lord's timing you know placing um placing that on my heart changing my heart changing my mind and attitude um you know not that i mean i, I we're all heathens at, at different p- points in our life. Um, and still to this day, we're definitely sinful. And, um, I, I mean, I, I would just say my family was a huge influence and always has been towards my faith. Mm-hmm. And so watching my sister and even just being encouraged, having more mature conversations with my parents, you know, just uh, not being fulfilled with things of this world that I explored in high school that, you know, at the time seemed really awesome. And they, you know, yeah. And I'm still really close to a lot of my high school friends. Yeah. Um, just, you know, have gone on a little bit different trajectory since then. And yeah, but I appreciate it. I mean, I just, yeah, I would say the Lord's timing. Yeah. And that's kind of the, the message throughout this whole story. But yeah, to preface kind of that introductory, I, I, that's key to me is that I don't know if I'd be sitting here today if, if the Lord hadn't groomed me and, and grow, grew my faith and provided that, like, you know, two, three year foundation before the suffering that I endured. Um, I think things could have turned out way differently. Um, so my junior year of college, 21 year old, um, headed back to school after again, my second summer mission project with Camps Crusade out on the Eastern shore. And that year, um, kind of leading up to that point, I had, I had significant pain in my left knee, but just, you know, kind of as an athlete, just worked through it, you know, lifting, working out, basketball leagues, whatever, just, hey, I, you know, on runs, hey, my leg really hurts, just get through it, pop some Advil or Tylenol or whatever, and just, you know, ignore, I, and that's the way I just kind of treated injuries, I was never, like, seriously <laughs> injured, thankfully. That uh, sounds like Mike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, deal with it. Yeah, for sure. Um, Modify. <laughs> So I did that for a while, and uh, it, it eventually got to a point where it was just too much to handle. So 
really the pain started probably April of 2010, um, and I was diagnosed um, October 15th, 2010, which is actually 10-year anniversary today. Oh. Wow. Crazy. wow. Man. Yeah. We, we planned that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely <sure>. did not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get to a point, though, I, was at, I, w- I remember, you know, crawling up my stairs at the house that I was living in at Miami my junior year. Of course, I'd just been living with this pain for so long. It was kind of like, oh, my leg really hurts. Let me crawl up the stairs. <laughs> was like at a logical point in, <laughs> in my stage of pain. And my roommate sees me. And he's like, what are you doing? I was like, my leg hurts. And he's like, dude, your leg hurts enough for you to crawl up the stairs. So he's like, you got to call your mom um, and just like go see the doctor or something. So I, I kind of refused. And then he like made me do it. I called my mom. She, I never call her about anything painful you know i never had any injury and so she knew it was pretty serious we went in she got me in um to s- with our family friend who's a orthopedic surgeon um close family friend i went back that weekend he scheduled an mri and then um, he checked it out was supposed to come back the following weekend um which was fall break and so he shared the news with us that night which we thought was just kind of a meniscus tear. We thought it, you know, at the worst, it was like an ACL, MCL, um, arthritis maybe. But yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, you get that news, it's devastating. Uh, so, yeah. Because you never think, as a college kid, you're not thinking never. it's cancer. Yeah, you're just thinking it's anything else. There's no, there's not even, you know, it's not even remotely in your, in the stratosphere of thoughts. Yeah, not even on the radar. So... Yeah, I mean, and, and I, it's, it was it was really interesting because at this point, Matt and Laura are gone from Miami, and, my, and so is my sister. Um, so they're not necessarily on campus for this. But um, I told a couple of friends, you know, that my knee had been hurting, and hey, I'm going to go see the doctor. Pray for me this week, right? Because they gave, they gave me crutches that week. So people are like, "What's what's wrong with you?" I was like, "I don't know." <laughs> uh, I was like, "We'll find out." So I was like, "Hey, if you want to pray, pray." And so I had a couple of people praying for me, kind of word a little bit, got around probably more so than I thought because I was on those crutches. Um, so people are like texting me over the weekend, like, what's the news, you know? And so that was a Friday night was when I was diagnosed. I didn't respond to anybody. My sister and I get in the car, um, was that on Sunday, drive back to Miami and just going to grab stuff from that, you know, because I'm, I'm done with school that year. I mean, it's like immediate. We got to get in and get this thing trying to try to get in uh see the doctors as soon as possible and, and what was the diagnosis what was the uh, it was osteosarcoma so it was bone cancer okay. um so osteosarcoma doesn't necessarily have like the staging like normal cancers would uh, but it was, it's sarcomas themselves um and you might be able to splice this and put it somewhere else as well but like uh sarcoma in general there's more than 50 different types of sarcomas um and all of sarcomas make up less than 1% of all the types of cancers diagnosed every year in adult population. So sarcomas are more prevalent typically in your adolescent young adult or, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would say I think osteosarcoma is most common in like 12 to 15-year-old males, um, about 1,000 cases a year. But yeah, yeah I mean, we, ju- we packed up the car from Miami and, I remember I texted like everybody that had reached out to me. It was like, hey, show up at the church, and I'll tell you what's going on. And so we get to the church, and there's like 30, 40 people, because like kind of word got around. It was like, hey, I think there's something big happening. And my my sister and I had to tell everybody face-to-face, hey, no idea what's going on, but, we, you know, cancer. And it, At that stage, you don't really know what those words are either. I mean, I, I remember being at um, our our doctor's friend's house that night on Friday night, it was like, you know, he's like cancer, um, chemotherapy, you know, and surgery and all these words. I'm like malignancy or, you know, and I'm like, it's kind of out of body experience. So it's like, what? I know what those words mean, but I literally can't process right now. Yeah. <laughs> and I know this is not good, but I, I just don't know how to process this. So there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. The first first little bit and had you like known anybody that had cancer probably not a sarcoma i think like now like for me in college like i don't 
for sure. Like you said, I wouldn't have been able to process that. My, right. my wife is an oncology nurse today, so like that, all those things mean a lot more to me now right. than they would have as a 21-year-old. I had, there were only a, a couple instances within our family that um, they had like really short clips of cancer. It was nothing like major. So I didn't, I would, you know, I really never grew up with it. Um, there are a couple of people in our community that were pretty well known that had a couple of recurrences here and there. And um, so we kind of followed their stories and stuff. But I, I mean, even think about 10 years ago. I mean, I, you know, I, I know. I keep on saying this, and that there's the more testing that we do, the the more technologically advanced uh, machinery that we have, we're be able to find out more. There's gonna be more diagnoses. So it's just, I mean, as you know, especially as we're growing up, I mean, it's just like I, I feel like it's, we're our, we are all accustomed to this diagnosis. We're all accustomed to it in our personal lives, our professional lives, um, people that are close to us. We've all had experiences with cancer, unfortunately. Now, which I, you know, I, growing up, I really didn't. Yeah, I can, I mean, we can relate. I mean, we've, we've talked about a, a similar type of story with our son. And, you know, you talk about all these terms and things that you don't, don't ever know about or even try to think about until it hits your life. And that's like, to clarify some of it, because he actually does not have cancer and it's not considered cancer. And so I just wanted to put that out there because it's been said a couple of times, but to clarify, I mean, yeah, he has a, it was a, a brain tumor, spinal tumor. It was disseminated. It can grow, it can spread. That's why he's on chemotherapy, but you know, it's crazy because it, it's actually not considered cancer because it's, because it's benign. Benign. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it grows. Interesting. So it's a, uh, yeah, it's weird. Like you, and they, is, and they yeah. told us like it's like don't even, I wouldn't even focus on that. Like focus on the things that you need to do to to get him better. Mm. You know, talking about whether it's technically considered cancer or not. You know, mm. but yeah, you just you just don't know about that kind of stuff and what really means what. But all we knew is that he needed immediate immediate brain surgery. He needed to mm. get it all out and go on chemo and hopefully it doesn't grow. You know. Wow. But yeah, how's he doing today? He's doing great. Yeah, I mean, he's doing uh, doing really well. He's um, he's on his second round of chemo, but he's done really well with this one. So he'll be on it for about two years, and I mean, he's going to school, doing well. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. So was was your was your surgery uh, immediate that you had to get then? Um, my main surgery was not immediate. So they did biopsy immediately. Okay. Um, yeah, so that was Friday I was diagnosed. Tuesday I was in with the main surgeon and oncology unit. Um, so they told us, that, you know, mapped everything out. So what, what that map y looked like was, hey, we're, you're going to give a year of your life to us. And, you know, hopefully we'll give you the rest of your life back. Um, and, you know, it was, you know, biopsy, 10 weeks of chemotherapy. And then what the goal of that chemotherapy is, they want to see if um, the cancer is reduced by anything. So they see the cancer is there. They want to see from the biopsy what the potency is of it, you know, what the pathology is. And then from that chemotherapy, that first 10 weeks, they're going to hit it with something really hard. Try to kill it and see how well your body responds to it. Um, and so being a young, pretty decently in shape, uh, male, they said, we're going to give you the full dosage. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's the best opportunity we have to kill it. So they went full blown, you know, chemotherapy for 10 weeks. We did six rounds and that's 10 weeks. You get a couple little breaks. And then after that, I get, uh, I did the main big, huge surgery on my left leg. Um, you know, take half my femur out, all of my knee out, um, up to mid thigh and put an implant from mid femur down to mid tibia with a complete, you know, total knee constraint. They called it a limb salvage surgery. So I actually had an opportunity to do, um, you guys should look it up, but um, rotation plasty surgery um, is one of the options. My, surg my surgeon helped invent it, um, but it's the, it's the place where I have the metal, where I showed you guys, I saw that picture. So mid thigh to uh, mid shin, if you remove that, and you take what's left below that, so shin to toes, through the ankle and toes, and you 
take that piece up, rotate it around, your ankle becomes your knee and it's flexed. So your foot is backwards and they fit it into an ampute, like a, you know, prosthetic. Um, and that, you know, that's one of the options. So there's three options. The, what I got, which is the most cosmetically, you know, no one really can tell. I, I can't run. Um, you know, I'm not really that physically able anymore, but, uh, it's that one, um, or, you know, amputation, like kind of full at the hip, um, or the rotation plasty, which is amazing. Wow. That's great. Just the way you were describing that. That's like, it's incredible. You should yeah. look at the pictures. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So why would they, why would they choose, uh, the different ones? I mean, is it based on the person, based on the yeah. circumstance, what they would want to do with their future? I mean, what? Oh, yeah, all those things. Yep. So I, usually the rotation plasty is performed on kids or, you know, young males that still have not kind of lived that life of activity or, right? So they say, you know, so I, can, I technically can run. They don't advise it because it wears and tears and you get, eventually if you wear and tear too much, you, I, you would have to get an amputation. But the, if the full kind of at the hip amputation um, takes about 70% effort, 70% more effort than kind of the normal, with, you know, if you didn't have any disability or didn't have any difficulty, 70% um, more energy to exert like a running function. Uh, with the rotation plasty, they say they have it down to 30%. So it's actually, you know, in terms of exerting energy and, you know, conserving that for use in other parts of your body physically for young kids, it's, it's supposed to be really great. Wow. But yeah, I've seen a number of kids that have had it. Unbelievable. I mean, really unbelievable. So as a, as a college kid who's used to being active, used to being in sports then, they're laying out these options for you. You're thinking, I'm never going to play sports again. I'm not going to run again. Like... Yep. All those things are gone. I mean, you kind of walked us your faith journey a little bit, like up to that. Like, how does that hit you? Like, how do you process that then in terms of like kind of newer coming into your faith, really starting to understand that and make it your own for your first time, maybe. Um, and then getting hit with something like that. Like, what does that do to you? Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it kind of just rocks your world to start. Right. I mean, it's just like, holy cow, what is happening? Uh, kind of everything's, going awry, I don't have any control, right? This, this false sense of control that I did have. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I just, it's, it, it's really hard to process. Um, those first couple nights, I'm, I remember just, you know, sleepless nights, just trying to figure out and pray through what is my life going to look like? You know, what, um, I, my, my dad is such a dreamer and, uh, we we all went uh, to all six of us my four my my three siblings my two parents and myself we all went to the doctor's appointment um, with my surgeon and my oncology team that first Tuesday and they're walking us through everything I mean they they did an unbelievable job but um, <laughs> remember I'm sitting there trying to process everything and I'm like yeah thinking down the road I'm like I just want to run like today I want to run and I asked my doctor I was like can I run home that if that's going to be the last time I'm ever going to run, yeah. mm -hmm. can you let me run home? And they were like, no, cause it might break your knee might break. And then the cancer would spread everywhere. And so they were like, no, you're done. Like you're not running. And that crushed me. Wow. And then my, my dad, like moments later, is like, so does that mean when he has kids, he's not going to be able to run the backyard with them? And my mind was just like, was just like, sh I was just like shattered. I was like, I'm like literally today, I'm like wanting to run. And my, and my dad had such great intentions about it because yeah. he wants the best for my life. And he's thinking about kids and future for me. And it's just all like, to me in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like coming shattering down. Like I'm still, like, this is forever. I'm yeah. Still like this is the this rest weekend. of my life. Like I'm still here like uh -huh. this week. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, so my faith was really the thing that I clung to to try to process, to help administer that healing and understanding and discernment. And I, it was, it was a challenge and the Lord gave me, uh, you know, a great support system. Um, my family and friends and so many prayer warriors that I don't even know, um, yeah. that were just so faithful and the Lord was so faithful to 
answering a lot of those prayers um, to give me to give me hope, you know, in mm-hmm. despair. To give me um, to actually, you know, to be honest, I the Lord never let me ask the question "Why me?" Kind of that mm-hmm. whole year, and that was the most freeing thing. It just it just you know, it would pop into my head, but it would never stay, never linger, never, n- never was like, there was never doubt associated with that. There was always, you know, God is in control and he's good and his provisions um, are here for you. Um, and there's, you know, a way out of this and he's providing that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it's a battle for sure. And it, it definitely, it, there was growth and maturity a lot more a lot more rapidly than I had expected as a 21-year-old to be kind of thrown into that fire. Um, but, you know, th- you know, they, they always say it takes a village to raise your kids. I mean, I'm, I, I'm blessed that the village kind of came out of the woodworks and helped support me, and the Lord was absolutely my strength. How has it changed your family now? I mean, you, your whole family went through that together. Like you said, it takes everyone to answer the battle, not just for you. It's for your whole family. But coming back, you know, out of it, um, how did it strengthen? What did it, what did it change your family? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, our family was always pretty close growing up. But um, ironically, we were all under the same roof that year. And my sister was older and um, out of school at that point, but back under my parents' roof. And I had you know, was in college and moved back home immediately, was under my parents' roof, and two uh, two siblings were, that were in high school. One was a senior in high school, one was a freshman, and um, it was that was such a special year. I mean, it was just like we were all wrecked that first week. I remember the, the day, that the night that I was diagnosed, we came back to the house, and we just prayed and sang worship songs and um, just laughed and cried together. And that was really healing and bonding. And that kind of set set us forward on the trajectory to where we are now. And, um, you know, I think, I think, you know, through that year, you know, we all got so much closer. There's trust. Um, there's hardship, right? We're all living close quarters uh, with each other again. And we're trying to be independent, trying to be adults, but trying to go through this together. And sometimes it's overwhelming. Sometimes it's um, the, the right amount of overwhelming, but, uh, yeah, I mean, my family has been for sure besides my outside of my faith has been the biggest blessing in my life. And so, yeah, I mean, it, we were reflecting on that today, you know, just talking to, talking to my dad on the phone, you know, the 10, 10 year anniversary mark from my diagnosis or texting, texting our family group, um, of just how thankful we are for the Lord's faithfulness. Uh, you know, that one, I'm still here, but two, that we are all um, so much closer and that we've added new members to our family since then and been able to see see new life come. And um, there's so many things to be grateful for, so many things through our journey that have been, you know, really painful and, and at times, you know, destructive to certain patterns of life or activities. But, um, you know, ultimately... We, we truly believe that God has been glorified in this journey together as a family. I always say, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like this. I have a lot of these images in mind about that journey, but um, I always I always liked, I clung to this statement the last number of years that what the world saw as the most destructive diagnosis proved to be the most life-giving in in my life. So, I mean, that brings up a question, and I don't mean to put you on the spot with it, but you say, like, the, what the world sees as uh, one of the most destructive diagnoses, right? So you grew up uh, in a solid family with a solid faith. You even said that you uh, grew that faith stronger in those couple years before the diagnosis, and then you had that family support built around you. So, you know, you've got to talk about this to a lot of different people, right in a lot of different circles what do you tell somebody who doesn't have that who doesn't have that faith who doesn't have that family support that gets that kind of diagnosis you know how have you had to have those conversations and i mean if not like what what do you say to them for sure yeah i mean first 
you know, I think everybody has their own battle and struggle in life, whether that's cancer or diabetes or, you know, any other, any, it doesn't have to be health related, you know, um, mental issues, addiction, any, there's so many, there's such a gamut of things that just plague our world because, you know, from our theology and doctrine from the Bible, we, we do believe that this world is broken and there is tangible brokenness that we see every day. And so I, I actually, I do, I volunteer here and there at the hospitals and it's been a really, it's been a blessing to me to try to interact with these, these patients and their families. And so I actually get frequently, um, to talk to these grieving parents, um, or young adolescent males or females even that, um, they're, you know, kind of lost within this diagnosis and maybe, maybe they do have faith. Maybe they don't. Um, it's never, I'm never in those moments, uh, more so I'm more so trying to listen to them Mm -hmm. in those first interactions than kind of push the gospel message of hope on them. But, uh, you know, little plugs here and there. Uh, I'm always, I'm always talking about my faith with them here and there. And honestly, I think, you know, people that are in that despair with those, with that news, um, they're so much more open and responsive to spiritual things Mm -hmm. that we can, we, if they've had no experience, um, you can kind of have some of those more in-depth conversations. But honestly, my message to those that don't have faith, it's just, I mean, first of all, it's, it's just hard to see that, you know, being in the hospital with people that, like I, I was in the hospital. I was treated um, at the James in Columbus, and then as well children, Children's Hospital. So I was treated both places because both my specialists were there. And so I, I would spend some time for my chemotherapy that year uh, with with kids. Like one of my best friends was a two year old, she had a leukemia patient, Down syndrome baby, um, and we were kind of paired together. Like every week, I was in there, she was in there. Um, but she was fortunate. She had a great family as well. We we got along really well. But there's kids that get just get dropped off Monday morning at the hospital. You know, single single parent homes where they have you know three four kids to take care of. Um, they have two jobs to work, and you know these kids just don't. It's just so hard. So I don't know if I'm necessarily. I'm kind of skirting by your answer to answer this no you're not but, I, uh, what i heard i mean is probably the most important thing is you're not trying to have all the answers you're trying to listen in those situations you know and then through the listening you can find those opportunities to share a little bit about that faith that you have sure. and now i don't want to assume we've got uh we've got listeners that are christians non-christians we obviously want this to be a platform to hopefully reach non-Christians to just get them asking questions too. Um, so I don't even want to assume that they, when we're talking about, you know, share our faith or mm-hmm. you talking about the gospel in that, like, what does that mean to you in your life? Yeah. I mean, to, to me, th- that is the faith that, uh, in Jesus Christ and, um, faith in the Bible, um, that it is the authentic word of God. Um, and, that there is actual hope in this world of pain and suffering. Um, so the gospel, you know, good news. Um, and so for me, you know, I clinging to that gospel and then beyond that, what, uh, what that gospel in the Bible, what the Bible says and proclaims uh, God's goodness to be is what I really clung to during my cancer experience. Yeah. Wanted to at least, put you put you on the spot again with it because you know it, it people can hear it and we we know all these terms because we grow up in in the faith and we grow up with the bible but you know a lot of people hear those things are like well what are they even talking about you know what does yeah. that mean to yeah. them? you know you can say all that stuff but you know what does it really mean when you're when you're talking about that and i think we all know i mean it's our faith that we we are broken we live in a broken world but there's you know hope and there's uh, grace that we've been given, you know, through a savior. And that's, that's what you can get when you have a diagnosis like that. And you feel like everything else is crumbling down. You've got something to, to cling to. Yeah. Amen. So thanks for sharing. For sure. Yeah. Uh, Jared, how has your battle with cancer changed your outlook on life? Um, kind of post recovery, um, thinking about, you know, kind of where were you once you were done fighting cancer? 
honestly, it it changed my world. Think about, I was reflecting upon this week, 10 years of my life, I'm 31, soon to be 32. It's a third of my life that I've gone through and identified as a cancer patient or cancer survivor, um, especially, you know, the majority of my adult life. And so cancer takes things from you and it gives things to you. And for me, it's it's always been trying to figure out the ways that uh, what what cancer gave to me and how can I utilize that. Um, rather than focus on the losses. And so for me, you know, it's a big change for me that I lost my activities. I lost my uh, physical ability. I was, I I mean, I was pretty active. Um, I I try to think back, it was like 90% of my days were filled with activity, right? Less than that, but it feels like that, right? Just so, and so my lifestyle changed, like just day one. And beyond that, that's kind of the surface level. So much deeper than that is um, my attitude changed, my perspective changed, you know, the, the journey and the course and the direction that I'm taking my life or, you know, where I thought I wanted to take it previously. It's very different than where I am today. Um, so all that to be said, I think, yeah, I think mostly my perspective changed. Um, this, this life is short. Uh, don't take for granted be grateful for what you have been given um, and utilize it to your advantage and so uh, and and help others who maybe are not as fortunate um, and allow them to help you at the same time and so for me uh, kind of funny thinking back because so much of my life was built around like activities um, my personality changed a lot so I, I was, I don't know. I mean, I, maybe it was somewhat of just like being immature, but Matt can maybe attest to some of this of how I was just like a rambunctious kind of out there social butterfly kid that would just, you know, that not that I'm not social anymore, but I, I, I do feel a lot more reserved, um, more introspective. Yeah, just a, a very, very thoughtful. I, I read a lot more. <laughs> Uh, I spend a lot more time thinking <laughs> than doing a lot of times. Uh, a lot of my buddies, we've joked. Um, yeah, I'm like, we, I think we started this when I was like 25. They're like, you're 25 years old, you know, with the life experience of a 45-year-old <laughs> with the physical body of a 55-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> sounds about right. <laughs> I'm so going to add a few years on that. So. <laughs> I know you're still active, though. So you, you still do stuff. Correct. Yeah, it just, it, yeah, it looks it's just different. It's just different. For sure. So what are, some, what are some common stuff that you like to do? I, I have become an avid golfer. I love to golf. Yeah, I've always done team sports. My life, and golf is so individual, so mental. Um, I, I, yeah, I love it. I've been slowly getting better, improving, improving here and there. But... Um, I always say like if you you know if you're fishing or you're golfing you're in nature and it you're you're in bu- a beautiful environment so you better enjoy it for sure. Yeah, I try <laughs> to focus on the environment. That's, <laughs> that's what you, you you focus on the environment, the cold drink in your hand and don't worry about the shot that you just hit in the woods over there. <laughs> no reason to get mad about it. Awesome. I cycle too. I don't know. I mean That's I, right. Yeah. I've been fortunate enough to bike. Um but uh it, yeah, it just it takes a lot, right? To bike, you got to plan your route. You got to get in your spandex. You got to get in your shoot. You got to. Do you have on. to? <laughs> <laughs> Don't want that chafing, man. <laughs> I think we got. Uh, we did a bike ride a couple of years ago together, dude. I remember. And that. we got a flat, flat tire, tire. <laughs> and Laura had to come both, pick us up. Both we of you <laughs> got a flat tire. I got oh, okay. a flat tire. I was in my road bike, and uh, we were going. I f- it was like through Aurora, and we were yeah. going through neighborhoods. With like an inch and a half. It was a curve, like one of the transitions from like the street to the, I don't know. Yeah. It was rough. It was <laughs> rough. And I was like, oh, this is going to be bad. <laughs> and As you were hitting it. <laughs> <laughs> Laura picked us up though with the kids. That's we, right. We yeah. threw the bikes in the car 
And we did we go to, get bagels? We went to get bagels. <laughs> <laughs> and we're in spandex and <laughs> Brugers. I was not in spandex. I was yeah, in spandex. do you own spandex, Matt? Is that something that you, you wear that biking spandex sometimes? I'm not. I'm not confident enough <laughs> to just wear spandex. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe ten years ago. So obviously you get a uh, get a flat tire and you go get bagels. I mean that just makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> right. for sure. Uh, what are some just some stuff you like to do for fun outside of you know maybe sports? Just things you like to do to chill out. I, I mean, I love hanging out with my my buddies. Um, my, you know, some of my best friends in the world. Um, you know, been really close to for so many years. So when we get together, it's a it's a ton of fun. I'm a I'm a big family family guy. I'm a diehard Buckeye fan. So can't wait for the Buckeyes to come back next um, weekend. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> depends when this By podcast the time comes. This <laughs> the season could be over, but <laughs> next weekend from when we're recording. Uh, I, I I do read a lot. Um, pretty active at my church. Any any books you recommend? It's a loaded question. Um, we always like to give some resources to uh, we'll to link, the listeners. So we'll link to them in the podcast description. Yeah, yeah. could be ones. I mean. Uh, for, that you read for fun or you know good ones that you've read that have helped you in your spiritual professional development i'll give you i'll give you three genres real quick <laughs> all right cool they'll just be a couple books first genre will r- relate to my cancer journey tim keller's book um walking with god through pain and suffering is really phenomenal for anyone that is suffering currently um, first part of that book, he does a really good job of articulating and going through like the historical perspective and philosophies of different worldviews. Um, so if I, w- I always recommend if you are currently in a suffering stage, skip the first part, come back to it later. Um, phenomenal book. I, I highly recommend it. Um, really gospel-centered and truly allows your heart to heal through a lot of that suffering and understand the gifts of, of God, the good and bad things in this world as well. So uh, that's, that's always first on my list in regards to that. Um, read a lot of books related to suffering. Uh, second genre I would say uh, is my brother got me into like fiction fantasy books. I'd never read any of them. Well, like, I can't, I, I I can't wait to hear what you bring <laughs> up here. <laughs> I, I didn't even like read Harry Potter growing up and that's like, you know, kind of the generation I was in. But, uh, my brother, when I was in the hospital bed, that's like all I did. He got me into these books and, um, I, I've read now a lot of this one guy, Brandon Sanderson. Um, he is a professor at BYU. Um, and he writes these books. I know it's super nerdy, but, uh, he has this fourth book coming out uh, in November of this year, okay. of like this big series. It's called the Stormlight Archives. Oh. If you like fiction fantasy, this guy's the top. Stormlight Archives, you yeah. said? Stormlight Archives. All right. I'll have to check those out. There dragons uh, Ryan's going to check that out. <laughs> there are dragons to come in the future. Oh, yeah. How do you know? <laughs> There's like this whole world. It's just funny. It's, uh, yeah, it's. <laughs> It's fun. I I would rather do that though than I'm not a big TV watcher. So like I'd rather do that than kind of binge on Netflix or so. It's kind of like a a more engaging for me uh, mental activity. Last genre uh, I would say is biographical. Two biographies that I've loved the last um, year or so reading, um, both by Eric Metaxas. Ironically, Amazing Grace, which is the William Wilberforce biography highly recommend it especially um kind of nowadays he uh was the one that abolished the slave trade or was involved in abolishing the slave trade in 1807 in england um bonhoeffer and then bonhoeffer and both of those are phenomenal highly recommend them excellent a lot of good recommendations for our listeners uh tell us a little bit about your family your growing family yeah so um so my wife and I met 2015. Uh, we've been married. We've been married since July of 2017. Um, and the doctors, because of the amount of chemotherapy I went through, and the extensiveness of it, 
they said I was not going to be able to have kids. Um, pretty big bummer. Um, we did the, you know, 21, you, you don't really realize it, but we did the reproductive uh, storing options. Um, so we were hopeful that in the future, you know, through science, we'd be able to kind of take those courses uh, of action. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, we have a nine-month-old daughter. That's awesome. Two, which is we call our miracle baby, little Lucy Michelle. Um, so yeah, I mean, just complete blessing, as any kid is. That's so cool. But yeah, just such a, I mean, just a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> our Completely doctors were unexpected. Super happy. Yeah. yeah, totally unexpected. Ironically, we were, we were like about to get. I was about to get tested, um, and start looking. We were starting to look into kind of the fertility options that we had. And potentially, like, uh, you know, later course, like adoption options and things like that. Um, and <laughs> we found out literally, like, uh, two, three weeks after that, that that I had, like, set up my appointment um, that we were pregnant. Wow. Well, I mean, it just shows, like, I mean, you, <laughs> there's a lot of great things, obviously, especially today's day and age with technology and science and doctors. I mean, we've seen it for you know, our son and everything that they've done has been awesome. But at the end of the day, you know, everything would have said from a science and doctor's perspective that you're not having kids. So how did that happen? Right. I think there's only one reason how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> so if you can't, if you can't believe in God after something like that, then I don't know what it's going to take. So it's awesome to hear. Yeah. And she's been a, a super big treasure in our life. It's fun watching her grow. I mean, she's nine nine months old now. I'm just like, holy cow, this is... I mean, you guys all have three, four kids each. <laughs> so you guys have all been through it. Yeah, I'm past that. <laughs> 14, 14 kids between us. Yeah. yeah. Yikes. A lot of kids. That's a lot. So what are your... What are some of your favorite experiences as a new dad? Like, what are your favorite things about your daughter? Um, I love that she knows our voices and, you know, recognizes that we do care for her. Like she, she trusts us. It's so unique. I I think, especially during like this COVID year, poor girls born into the COVID. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's just like, we we brought her out of the womb and at least she doesn't know what's going on. Yeah, She's (laughs) not going to remember a thing and that's good. She's just been so confused when like we started going out and hanging out with people because the first three months she's really, you know, not not there not fully understanding and then kind of once april rolled around it was like all right COVID hit and then two months later we started kind of venturing out a little bit more and she would like hate like being interacting with other people Hmm. she was like i thought it was just us three (laughs) 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 so yeah it's a ton of fun um lots to learn as parents for sure but we're we're super excited about it so we did favorite. What's the most challenging aspect of parenting to you so far? I think for me, it was the sleep to begin with. Like I'd never, I really never was never sleep deprived before this. And I am a light sleeper and that, that just like wrecked me. <laughs> and I did, like, I legitimately, you can't prepare for it. Like no. everybody says like, it might, it's going to be rough. But then you're like, you get into it and you're like, oh my gosh, I have no idea how I'm working today, yeah. how I'm functioning. Like she, she had this thing though, where she would not, she wouldn't sleep unless she was being held. And so I was tough for like five weeks. Yeah. But I think that's another thing that God prepares the mothers for that because they're up in the middle of the night going to the bathroom, like every, every two hours, (laughs) you know, towards the end of the pregnancy. So they're already used to the sleep deprivation, but us fathers, we don't we don't get anything for like that. sure. We're just thrown into the fire, <laughs> for sure. Unless you sleep through everything, <laughs> <laughs> like me. <laughs> you get fi- you get in fights during the day, then I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> you don't oh, yeah. get like punched in the middle of the night, like hey, baby's crying. <laughs> <laughs> That's happened before, but I sleep through everything. Wow. <laughs> so Ryan, are you? If I'm hearing you correctly, are you comparing your not being prepared for your sleep deprivation to Miranda's having to deal with the pregnancies <laughs> and childbirth and no. everything else. I just want to make sure. Yeah, obviously. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying that they, you know, God in his wisdom has provided a way for the, uh, the mothers 
to become adapted to the sleep deprivation. So yeah, sure. you're gonna pay for this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll edit this one. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so give me some advice. I'm, you know, give me some father, fatherhood advice. Man, you know, I don't know. We're still learning ourselves. <laughs> I think Matt and I are the only one. We're the only ones with daughters. So mm-hmm. it's yeah, know. they're awesome. <laughs> daughters are awesome. Yeah. I'm like I, I will be broken the day that. My daughter's like, don't want to just, you know, crawl on my back, read a story. They're just like, I don't know, snuggly. They're great. So sweet. They are. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't don't think about some advice. Maybe we'll get back to you at the end of the episode. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Jared, thanks, man. This has been awesome. Um, Really enjoyed the time and and your story. And I think it's going to be impactful for our listeners. If there's one message you could give to um, just other listeners that, you know, could learn from your battle with cancer, what would that be? And like you said, it doesn't even have to be, we're all dealing with different challenges in our lives. So, you know, something that you could have learned through that for somebody else who's going through something right now. Yeah. Yeah. I would say find a community that is going to support you, um, believe in you, and be your bedrock um, and push you to excellence in everything you do. And I think that, you know, from my personal experience, that was my family and uh, a couple surrounding friends. And they were able to effectively push me towards my faith and towards perseverance um, in, in my suffering. And for me, that... Uh, that's what I would definitely encourage to find that support system, to find that community that's in the thick and thin with you um, and, and be that to other people. That's good advice. Thanks, man. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you sharing your story. Thanks for the bourbon. Yeah, man. Yep. Great, having you, <laughs> Great having you on, man. Thanks for checking out the Core 4 Life podcast. If you like what you're hearing, why don't you tell a friend about us? Share a link to our podcast on social media or get in touch with us at Core 4 Life or Core4Life.com. That's Core, F-O-U-R, Life.com. Catch you next time. Core 4 Life. Yep. I said a call for life. <laughs> <laughs> Dilly.